When you learn the story of the Torah, you are learning the story of the world's purpose. You're not learning the story of the world. It's not a history book. It's the story of the world's purpose. And the story of the world's purpose is quite involved. It begins with Adam and Eve, Adam and Chava. It continues with Cain and Hevel, Cain and Abel. Then, of course, it very, very much graduates in the story of the pre-flood and the flood and then Noyach and then, then the event of the Tower of Babel, Tower of Babel, which resulted in the Great Dispersion, where the human family was divided up into races and languages and dispersed all across the edges, the far reaches of the, un- of the earth and so on. But the, every story in the Torah is a story about the world's purpose. So, I want to say this by way of introduction. I'm not saying this because I have a crystal ball, because I, I know God's thoughts. I'm saying this because this is mighty compelling. It's a very, very powerful piece of Torah Baal which is under-discussed in the in the annals of Jewish theology. And that is as follows. There's a Gemara in two places in the Shas that says that after the flood, about which we read this week, God made a covenant with mankind. All of humanity. The covenant that God made with mankind was to keep the seven laws of Noah. The seven laws of Noah. But it was a covenant. A covenant means a pact that's in blood, right? A pact that's unbreakable. When two people make a covenant, they are committing themselves to remain in that covenant forever. What happens if one strays from the covenant? Their counterpart has a right, based on the terms of the covenant, to bring them back into the covenant at any cost, including the cost of blood. If two people made a blood oath, you violate the blood oath, you lose your life. Because you're not allowed to violate it. That's what a covenant means. God made a covenant with all of humanity that they're going to keep the seven laws of Noyach. Of course, from humanity's perspective, that would mean that God would have to bestow blessing upon them. They'd have to they'd get special treatment, if you will. Extra hashgacha. But the flip side of the covenant would mean that they're not allowed to violate the seven laws. So the Gemara says, in effect, okay, this is a Gemara with a little bit of my commentary, but the Gemara says this in effect. Gentiles, Goyim, the children of Noach, the grandchildren of Noach, began to violate the covenant repeatedly. And God found himself being an enforcer, constantly renewing the covenant at a very, very high cost. The way God renewed the covenant is with blood, through natural disasters. He punished the human family once, he punished the human family again, he punished the human family a third time, because they had a deal. A covenant is a covenant. It's a two-way pact that binds God to the humanity, to the family of human beings, and, it's, and it binds the human family with God Almighty. And then the Gemara said, and these are my words now, but this is the intent of the Gemara, in my opinion, that God said, you know what? I'm sick and tired of killing people. I'm not doing it anymore. And he broke the covenant. That's what the Gemara says. It's based on a Pasuk. And Tilim Omad Vayamedid Eretz. God Almighty stopped and measured the world. And he saw Vayater Goyim. He released the nations from the covenant. Do whatever you want. I'm not punishing you. That's it. 
So Gemara Mufreshes, it explicitly was a very interesting Gemara. And what's most crazy about this Gemara, there are actually laws, halachas, that radiate from this presumption. That the Gentiles had a covenant and the Eivishter, God, dissolved the covenant because he didn't want to continuously punish people. There are law, practical halachas that come from this idea. So, from a practical perspective, a very interesting thing emerges from this story, which is a mind-blowing story. I'm sure that if you haven't heard this before, this is sobering. This is like, wow. <laughs> and of course, the next question is, how does the Gemara know? Right? How does the Gemara know? The Gemara knows. Just like the Gemara knows that he made a covenant with the Jewish people. But this is a Gemara. It's, this, is a, it, this Gemara should be quoted more often. It's a very interesting Gemara. The question becomes, now what happens if a Gentile says to God, I want the covenant back. Let's, re, let's re-establish the covenant. And without getting into the, all the opinions, there is a perspective that says that when God came down on a mountain and He gave us our Torah, He gave the seven commandments of Noach to the world again and said, choose it if you wish. He didn't renew the covenant, but He made the covenant available to any guy who chooses to adopt it. This is a ritual. The Rebbe holds it that Ammon doesn't agree with this, but there is a perspective that says that when the covenant was broken, that was it. A guy can do whatever he wants. There are still laws, but if he doesn't keep the laws, it's not going to be punishment. And when he gave the Torah to the Jewish people, he gave the seven laws again. But he didn't bind anybody by those seven laws. He says, this is your choice. You choose, you accept the covenant. You don't choose, you accept the covenant. And the Ben Noyach, there's three different terms for a non-Jew who keeps the seven laws of Noyach. There are three different levels. The lowest level is called the Noahide, the Ben Noyach. A higher level is called the Ger Teshav which means a convert for rights of habitation, a non-Jew is allowed to live in Israel. And the highest level is a chassid, chassid a righteous Gentile. And there were three different standards of the performance of the Sheva Mitzvah B'nei Neach that represent these three different illusions. They're not the same thing in three different words. They're three different levels of, of adherence to the seven laws of Neach. The lowest level is a Ben Neach, a son of Neach, a, a Noahide. The second level is a ger teishav, a convert who has rights of habitation in Israel, and the highest level is a chassid, a righteous gentle chassid So, why am I saying this? I'm saying this because this is the story of Genesis. It's the story of the beginning of the Chumash. Bereshis and Noyach don't talk about Jews, right? Noyach, Avraham Avinu prays in Lech Lecha. and Noyach is the story of human beings, of the human family and their trials and tribulations. Um, this is a very, very powerful piece of the narrative of the Chumash before there were Jews there were people and there's a lot of detail about this question the fundamental question is if the Noahides had done their covenant would there have been a nation of Jews or would the entire world have been that nation I think the answer to that question is that even if all of the Gentiles would keep the Shabbat they would still be God's nation which would appear later, right? The story of the, of the flood is, they came out of the flood, they became 70 nations. And if you're not familiar with this, the 70 nations are listed by name in Noyach. In our parasha, in the Chitas of tomorrow or Friday, you read the children of Shem Chaman Yafes. If you'll count, you'll see that there's exactly 70. And uh, these 70 names are not 70 people, they're the patriarchs of the 70 nations. And some of those nations, we know what they are. 
We know which nations they represent. For example, the, one of the many children of a man named Tugarma, which is a funny kind of name, that's Turkey. And so on and so forth. Elam is Babylon, and so on and so forth. Rabbi Arya Kaplan, in his Chumash, which is called the Living Torah, has a map of the ancient world where he attempts to identify the land of each of these 70 nations. In other words, the 70 names mentioned in Pashas Noyach are not just the names of children, you know, begottens. They're the names of individual people who fathered a race, a whole civilization, a whole nation, a whole culture, a whole language, to use a, 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 biblical, a, a religious term, a, a Torah term. Okay, and there are exactly exactly seventy. I counted. There's exactly seventy, and they represent the seventy nations. But even if those seventy nations had kept their laws, ten generations later, ten generations later, Abraham would be born, and the Jewish nation would be born. And here's the theological message. And this theological message is very, very, very unwestern. It's very, very opposite the philosophy of the modern world. The message is. Man was not created equal. The only equality that exists in man is man's potential versus what's expected of him. In other words, the only equality that exists between people is a person's possibilities versus what a person actually delivers. The only person you're competing against is yourself. Everybody has a different mission, everybody has a different mandate, and all we need to do is our job. And the idea that everybody is the same is not consistent with Torah. Torah speaks about groups, divisions, right? In the Jewish nation. Kainim, Leviim, and Yisraelim. Kairach hated that idea, but God liked it. Amongst Kainim themselves, there's a Kain Gadol, there's a Skan Kain, there's a Kain Hedyet, and so on. There's the way the Abish created the world, we're not all equal. The only way we're equal is that what's expected of us is consistent with what we're capable of. But there's different kinds of people. And for reasons known only to God, His vision of His world is that there is a center and there is a radiation from that center. Geographically, that center is Eretz Yisrael. Around Eretz Yisrael radiates seven continents. Chronologically, that center would be, for example, Shabbos. From that center radiates six points, six days of the week. And in the human family, it's the Jewish people. The Abish chose the Jewish people. Now, that may make you feel uncomfortable, but it's a fact, right? As this Christian just taught us so precisely. Okay? Why? I don't know. One thing I know was we were not chosen because we're supermen. We were chosen because we had holy Zedis. Holy ancestors. The Abish created a nation by finding a prototype. One. God had one perfect person. And when I say perfect, I don't mean in the sense of what God invested in him. I mean in the sense of his loyalty to God. The person on this earth who served God perfectly and never failed was only one. And his name was Abraham. And you've heard this story from me before. If you're a regular to my classes and you'll visit my site, you'll hear this. <coughs> The Gemara tells a story based on the book of Job. The Gemara of Abbasah tells a story based on the book of Eve. What's the story? The story is that God's pretty angry with his people. And he consults with guess whom? Who does God consult with the Jewish people? 
Satan. You ever heard of him? He's mentioned in the book of Job by name, Satan. And he says to the Satan, maybe I should start over, huh? <laughs> Let me try this again. Let me find one perfect person. Like Abraham was perfect. And I'll start this whole experiment again because these descendants of my first perfect person, Abraham, are a total failure. They're a flop. And the Satan sits down across from God and looks into his eyes and says, listen here, God. I know this is not my business. But I just want to tell you something. I give you my word. I give you a guarantee. You're never, ever going to produce another Abraham. I give you my word. And God says, yeah, let's try. Satan says, okay, we'll try. And that's the book of Job. That experiment. The book of Job is the search for another Abraham. And as the Gemara tells the story, Job fails the test. Fails the test. So it's a very interesting story. The Gemara says that when the Satan picked on Job, it was to protect the Jews. And the, the Satan says to Hashem, you had one Abraham, be happy. You shouldn't have had any. You're not going to have another one. In other words, you're stuck with this nation because this nation is anchored in its roots, in its essence. Its root, its essence is Avram Avinu. Since there's not going to be another Avram Avinu, there simply cannot be another chosen nation. Because the chosen nation begins with the chosen individual Avram Avinu. That's the story of the world from the traitor's perspective. It's the story of the Jewish people. Okay? Who was Avram Avinu? What is so remarkable about Avram Avinu? What's amazing about Avram Avinu? And the truth of the matter is we never think of Avram Avinu as a real person. Because if we did, it is truly a mind-blowing story. Avram Avinu was brought, born into luxury, into wealth, into high class, in the most sophisticated society in the world in which he lived. And there are a bunch of lowly pagans. And Avram Avinu was indoctrinated to this way of life. He was at the elite. He was at the pinnacle. His father was the creator of God. That's what he did for a living. That's a pretty cool job. And Avram Avinu was indoctrinated. Avram Avinu was an idol worshiper for a certain period of his life. And he questioned and he questioned and he searched and he searched and he questioned and he questioned and he searched and he searched. And against all odds, he found Hashem and Hashem He found one God. And God didn't make it easy for him at all. God made it as difficult for him as possible. The Gemara says, the Pasuk says, Avram Avinu had ten tests. You know what it means he had ten tests? Simple. King David got one and failed. The Pasuk says until him, David HaMelech said to the Ebishter, you love Avram Avinu so much because you tested him. Test me! So the Ebishter tested him once. And then David says, please don't test me again. I got the message. But Avram Avinu was tested ten times. And the tenth of the tests was what? To sacrifice his own son. And the way the Rebbe explains it in the Sikhs, Hashem didn't say to Avram Avinu, sacrifice your biological son. Hashem said to Avram Avinu, sacrifice your entire legacy. Sacrifice your entire future. Sacrifice everything you brought to the world. Because if your son dies, when you die, there's no future. And Avram did that too. So the Pasuk says, we say it every day in Davening, about Avram Avinu, about Abraham our father, Umatsasa eslavovi nemanlefanecha. You found his heart to be absolutely loyal to you. In plain English, that means God Almighty himself tried to break Avraham Avinu and failed. The story of Lech Lecha, of Ayera and Chayesara is the story of the Abishter squeezing Avraham Avinu. And then God knows how to squeeze, huh? And Avraham's emuna 
Abraham's loyalty, Abraham's dedication to the Abishtad was unbreakable. That is why he was the father of God's nation, and that is why we are God's people. It's really not about us, it's about where we come from. What's the story? God is angry with the Jews. So he, sends the so he says to the Satan, let's create another Avram Avinu. How do you create Avram Avinu? You take a person who believes in God, a good guy, and test him. 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 And the person they chose is a man named Eir, Job. And Job is not really a person, he's a concept. And the Satan guarantees the Abish that this is going to fail. And it does. That's the story of the book of Job. Nobody can what Avraham Avinu did, no one could do. I didn't realize that Job failed. The Gemara says, Chidav, it's a Gemara Basra. Chidav, Gidav, Kapesh Job is a complicated book. It's not easy to read and get between the lines, but that's what the Gemara says, that he blasphemed. He couldn't take the test. I thought that he just, you know, that his accusers were saying, you know, to... I am not an expert on Eir, but that's what the Gemara says, that eventually he loses at least some of his faith. An awful lot. But the story of the Chumash is, first of all, it's the story of the world, of the family of nation. Second of all, it's the story of the birth of the Jewish people. But the story of the birth of the Jewish people is the transition from one to many. You start with one person, one couple, Ram and Sarah. And it finishes with the exodus, with the departure of the Jewish people from the land of Egypt, where they numbered millions of people. And of course, this nation was by no means a monolith. These millions of Jews departed from Egypt some 500 years after Avram Avinu was born or precisely to the year 500 years Avram Avinu was born 500 years before the Exodus the Exodus was, was in 2448 Avram Avinu was born in 1948 and Yitzhak was born in 2048 Yitzhak was born when Avram was 100 it was a transition from a, a few righteous people to a plurality of Tzadikim Beninim and Rishoyim good ones middle ones and rotten ones the Ebishter wants a nation. And he knows exactly what a nation means. A cross-section. A little bit of each type. Avram is the father. Our roots are, are sacred. Our roots are purged with the greatest fire. But our branches and our radiation, our fruits, are of all different types and stripes. Hashem never intended to have himself represented by a few pious people, Hashem intended to have himself represented by a nation, by a people that starts with one and radiates into many. And when you get to Lech Lecha, that process begins. The one becomes two, and the two becomes three, and the three become twelve throughout the book of Bereshis. And then when you turn the page from Bereshis to Shmais, the 12 becomes 70, and the 70 becomes 600,000, which is really several million. That's a version 
of the Chumash. That's the story. It's the, it's the spirit of the story of the Chumash. And what's interesting about it is, forever we represent Avraham Avinu. Forever we represent God, whether we like it or not, or whether we do a good job or a bad job. The biggest Russia, who is a Jew, is part of God's nation. You may not like it, but God does. You may not understand it. God doesn't have to understand. He does what He wants. Russia, the most evil Jew, Dasan and Aviram, they're a part of this family. Our roots are absolutely pure and holy, but our manifestation is a people that is chosen by Kaddish Baruch Hu, not because of who they are, but from whom they come. And the story of the Chumash is this evolution. It begins with the creation of the world, the family of nations, the identity of one person, and how that one person achieves his status as the Abraham, as the loyal one to God, whom the Satan promises the Abishtad, I promise you there'll never be another. Yeah? And from him comes the people, the nation. There's Abraham, there's Yitzchak, there's Yaakov. And we have been learning for two years this story. We started the story of Ramavinu, and we went through all the different stages of Ramavinu's life. His struggles, and his prophecy, and his move, and his mitzvahs and his covenant the bris milah, the birth of Yitzchak the Akedas Yitzchak, we went through the entire story and as we did we demonstrated we demonstrated this evolution we demonstrated this process of the one becoming many and the righteous becoming a nation that's a cross section of very righteous, very ordinary and very unrighteous and the way the story works is that you gradually radiate outward you start from few and you become many. You start from ideal and then you become challenged. Yitzchak Avinu never left the Holy Land. Yitzchak Avinu's life represents piety in its most ideal state. A holy man living in a holy land, living a holy life, who's blind to anything but holiness. His son struggled his entire life. His son was exiled repeatedly. The evolution is that first, in the person of Avraham and Yitzchak, the perfection of the individual was established in a holy context. Avraham Avinu was tested and tested and tested until he was established in Avraham Avinu. His son finished what Avraham Avinu began. And then the Yankov Avinu begins a whole new process. And this whole new process involves First of all, the radiation of one into many, but most importantly, the radiation from a holy person living in a holy environment to a holy person living in a golos, in an exile. And the second half of Bereshis is two distinct events of golos. There's two stories of exile. <coughs> Number one, the story of Jacob's personal exile. That's Vayetia and Vayishlach. And number two, the story of the exile of his children, which is Vayeshe Vayechi. And then, of course, Number three will be the exile of his grandchildren, Shmoisa Eir Aboy. Do you understand? And these stories are recorded in the Chumash because they're not only stories, they are history. In other words, these things repeat themselves over and over again. There is a phenomena of Golos. Golos basically means challenge. There's the phenomena of Golos that affects the Tzaddik. There's the phenomena of Golos that affects a lower Tzaddik. And there's a phenomenon of goals that affects a plain person. The phenomenon of goals that affects the tzaddik is the story of Jacob. 
the phenomena of Golas that represents a lower tzaddik is the story of his children, and the phenomena of Golas that affects an ordinary person is the story of Exodus, of us. And those three stories, the story of Yaakov, and the story of his children, and the story of his grandchildren, until repeat themselves over and over and over and over again in our history. Those stories are not just events, they're who we are. And the tightest version of these accounts teaches us how we got into them, how we survived them, and how we get out of them.